With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The rainbow way up high and the dreams that you dream of once in a love Hello, Mark Silverman. Hello, Sharon Yankowitz. How are you today? I'm good. You know, we've been doing these special shows of Over the Rainbow, and, um, you know, we're, we're kind of caught up after the, the Long York site uh, episode that we did, and um, we're, we're a little late, but we have not forgotten our mothers, a little special that we're doing to honor our mothers. Um, you know, it was. I was thinking about my mom, and I was thinking about your mom, and how how we were raised, and how the shows that we watched depicts the kind of the the role of the mother in a very different way than the way that that mothers raise their families now. So I thought we could take a little stroll down down memory lane. And we could start with, you know, how we looked at the role of mom, starting with the 50s. And, um, and you know, and, and how we looked at that through television shows. I don't know about you, but, you know, I pretty much, I pretty much, my television viewing is TV land and cozy. I think the shows from when, when we grew up, are still better than the ones that they're producing now, even though the technology is better. Uh, nah, I tend to watch a lot a, more. Of... Yeah, it's it's a simpler time, and it's just it's fun to see how some of it is dated. It's it's also a, you know as I looked into this, there are big studies on gender roles, and you know the male being the king of the palace, and you know. He's a breadwinner and, you know, mom has to stay at home and, you know, raising the kids and little beaver did something wrong. Wait till your father gets home. Now, my mother was never a wait till your father gets home kind of gal. She would just take me, put me over her knee, whack me. And that was the end of it. But very many of my kids were like, oh, my God, my dad's going to kill me. So I don't know. How was it in your house? Uh, well, it was a little of both, except that it was also because my mom was in a wheelchair. Yeah. A lot of the, but, but even that played into it because 
she was something up. I mean, she was just as prone to spank us. You know, she didn't she didn't start to really show disabilities till I was seven, and she really wasn't immobile till I was about ten or eleven. Uh, so she would spank us, and and I have to tell you, one of the worst bits of discipline that I have ever experienced that I remember to this day was because my bedroom, my brother and I had our bedrooms downstairs. And, oh, see, I got to stay in the same room with my sister. Okay. Well, that's what happened. We we took our bed we we took our finished basement and broke it up into two bedrooms when I was Thank ten. You. And my mother was yelling at me for something that I did. And I bet I'm going downstairs. And she chased after me on her crutches. Oh wow. Then <laughs> ended up which she was able to do. She was able to maneuver stairs. Except this yeah. time. She took a very nasty fall. Uh oh. And you can only imagine the guilt I felt, the guilt I feel to this day, knowing oh, the reason she fell is she was chasing me. That was worse than any spanking. I'll bet. Yeah. So, so you know, when you look into these things, the 50s had its gender based on society expectations during the 50s roles dictated that men were the head of the household and the sole provider and women were expected to stay at home and be the homemaker and care for the children and be have everything done and and run up to her master the king of the house when he came home and take off his coat and give him his pipe and his slippers and blah 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 and you know one of the ways that we viewed this was on shows such as um in fathers knows best right god forbid mother should have anything to say when you see interviews of uh, some celebrities they you know that come from broken households they talk about how you know they, they wish that, that they would pretend that their mother was somebody like like margaret anderson you know the devoted housewife and mother everything was you know she never yelled at them you know it would be like oh you know buddy or you know it was never you know get over here it was never like get down here or whatever um but it, it was always you know wait till your father gets home and blah 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 there was a by the way i'm pretty sure it might have been animated there was a series called wait till you No, it was home. not animated but it did it was it did originate on the radio okay that no what wait show. till you, wait till your father gets your home? father gets home yeah. It was. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same thing, though. It wasn't uh, this. This particular version of "Wait Till Your Father Gets Home" did start on the radio. No, no, I'm not talking about when fa Father Knows Best. Oh, okay. There was a series called yeah. "Wait Till Your Father Gets Home." Oh, okay. I, I, do you know who did the voices? I, I'm trying. Just vaguely remember. I'll look it up while, while you, okay, you introduce, yeah, no, I introduce even... Father Knows Best. Okay, so uh, Father Knows Best was um, Margaret Anderson, played by Jane Wyatt. It was it was a characterization of the Andersons. It's the truly idolized family of America that every sort of viewer could relate to and emulate. Um, it was middle-class America, 
And in the episodes, Jim came home and dealt with all the family problems, using, usually involving friends or relationships in school. And they, you know, they would always follow their father's wise advice, and the problem would be resolved in half an hour. <laughs> and um, you know, if the children came home with a problem, Margaret would always tell the children something to the effect of, oh, I'm sure it'll all be fine. Let's wait till your father gets home and he'll know what to do. And um, much the same, you know, it was what, three children, two, I think two teenagers and little, little Kathy, right? She was uh, the bell of the ball. She was a spoiled little thing and daddy's little girl. And, you know, Similar, similar type expectations from Leave it to Beaver with June Cleaver. You know, it, it was a little more, I will see. So Jim was, I think he was a salesman of some sort. And um, what did, what do you remember? What, what did. Um, he was an insurance he was, salesman. He was an insurance salesman. Yes. And, and uh, yeah, he would go off to work and they had. Wally was the the wise cracking teenager. Actually, he wasn't. It was his friend. Wait a minute. Um, have you shifted into Leave It to Beaver from Father? Yes, I have. Okay. Yes, I, I went along to Barbara Billingsley, who was June Cleaver in Leave It to Beaver. Much the same could be said. She was a typical housewife, the mother of two boys. Episodes followed a little bit more of the kids than the parents. Uh, followed the escapades of Wally and Beaver. And uh, usually this one, though, I don't know so much that Father's Knows Best had uh, a moral to the story as much as, you know, that whatever problem there was, wise old dad could solve it. Whereas in Leave it to Beaver, there was always some sort of moral to the story that would be delivered. And, um, you know, it included reminders of childhood and minor lessons for the parents through adventures of the boys and other problems that would be solved, that would wait to be solved till Ward came home. But it should be noted that, you know, when it, during my research, that when I looked at moms of the, you know, when I was looking at the decades, it said June was voted as one of the top 10 TV t uh, moms of six decades. And uh, June is, uh, she was dedicated to her family. Now, in this particular case, we never knew what I'm going to just bounce back and forth between fa uh, Fathers Knows Best and, and Cleaver, because in, in Fathers Knows Best, we never really knew a whole lot about what what she liked. Right. What other than that, she was keeping the house, you know, that Margaret, you know, we keep the house tidy and whatnot. We didn't really know what her interests were, whereas and leave it to Beaver, right? She had entertainment. She used to be, uh, she used to have the other mothers over. There was like a parent association type thing. This is something that our parents, was your, your was, even though your mom was disabled, was she part of the PA? Oh, yes. Yeah. She was very active in all of that. She was, yeah, she was my the, mom the was, Cub Scout, you know, then mom and yeah, all of my that. Mom right? was, my mom managed to be, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And managed to be, my sister's three years older than me, and she managed to be, you know, you needed the class mom, right? So my mom always managed to be the class mom. She'd come in to help for parties and go on the trips with, with us, um, you know. And, and you, you totally got the idea. I mean, they didn't show us when the boys went on class trips, I don't believe. But um, I believe that June would have been a, a great 
uh, trip mom. <laughs> um, but uh, but she she was very ladylike, right? She liked her her. She was very tasteful. Like fashion fashions became very trendy. The fifties, you know, had those. I think Mademoiselle and you know these uh, Life magazine was uh, was starting to show up, and it showed the thing. The thing is, and and this is I don't know not really true about my mom whenever whenever the kids would come home from school this was supposed to be a very typical mom thing in the 50s where you would find the boys would come home from school and mom would be in the kitchen chopping vegetables and basing mm-hmm. a roast and icing a cake and all of this and um and her kitchen and even though she's doing all of this messy stuff right her kitchen is like immaculate Right. There's yes. no there's no garbage. There's no everything. And she's all prim and proper. There's no, you know, she's she's dressed beautifully with this nice little clean apron on her, the, the cleavers. And this was true, though, like most middle class families in sitcoms of the 50s, the cleavers sat and ate breakfast, lunch and dinner together at the at the family table. But in by the dining, way, in a dining room. Right. For, the sake, for, the, for the sake of clarity, um, Robert Young's character on, on Father Knows Best was yeah. the insurance salesman. Right. I thought, I thought Ward Cleaver, Ward Cleaver in numerous sites is described his job was white collar. Right. He was always at a desk. Like they would show him in the office. It was That's a very, it was never, it was never in the, specified what he did for a living. Okay, but he seemed like some sort of supervisor. It was something. white collar. That's, yeah, it was, yeah. that's all it described. Yeah. It was white collar. Like you couldn't decide if he was a lawyer or whatever, but, but, um, but the thing that about mom, right? She, she always had perfectly coiffed hair and very tasteful makeup. And, you know, she was a fashionista, which I don't think was a word in the 50s. She was a party hostess. And, and I think that when they would come down, I think there were a couple of times where Wally was having trouble with his math homework. And oh me, oh my, she didn't know how to help him with that. She they had to wait till Ward came home to uh, help him with the math. Oh, maybe he was like an accountant or something. You know, <clears throat> part of part of how the mothers are portrayed, though, comes down to how the shows are constructed. So Father Knows Best, which you mentioned originated on radio. Yes. R- Robert Young was one of the creators of the show. So it was mm-hmm. a Robert Robert Young story. So he decided how everyone was portrayed. And he played a major part in who was cast both in the original radio show, where his right. wife was played by Wilmer Flintstone, uh, Van Peebles. Gene uh, Van Peebles was Van it? Van Peebles, Wilmer um, Flintstone. Yes. But who, did a t- who primarily did voiceover work or career, obvious, <laughs> obviously. But in the original radio version, the wife was it more was, of a peacemaker, a moderator. Yeah, you know what? The radio, the, from what I read, the radio show was a little bit of a different turn. Like, Jim wasn't such a nice, wise exactly. old guy. Exactly. So, so his role, her role was keeping things 
more on an even keel. And I think that got diminished. Oh, with the TV a version. So the Absolutely. TV version of Robert Young, again, this is essentially Robert Young's creative expressions for whatever reason he chose to portray it one way on the radio and shift it on TV. So, well, right. Well, I mean, you know, it was the man went to work and, 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 you know, and the wife had it easy, right. The wife didn't really have a job, you know, and she, it was thought she was at home relaxing around the house and like there in actuality, there is no harder job than raising a family. No, of course not. And in, in Leave it to Beaver, as opposed to Father Knows Best, where I think Father Knows Best revolved, revolved around Robert Young, revolved around the father's character the and father. how things played off him. Yep. Leave it to Beaver, it was how everyone reacted and responded to the kids. So the kids were the driving force of the plot. That's exactly what I said. Yes. Yeah. So and now, and 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 the and and specifically how the parents dealt with their problems. Yeah. So and that that shifts how how each of the characters can be portrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, then we. Mm-hmm. You have more because I was no, going to move no. on. Okay. So then we move on from the fifties, and we move on to like the sixties and seventies. And now we get into shows like The Brady Bunch and Family Ties. So Florence Henderson was Carol Brady. The, the, the late 60s, the role of mom started to change a bit. The roles were still like she was still home, you know, helping raise the kids and whatnot. And dad still was the breadwinner. But, but now... You got to know more about, well, now, like in this particular case, because there were six kids and they were an actually blended family, it was, and it, I, you know, it equally, I think it was a little more equal about each, each, well, each kid kind of represented, you know, a decade sort of, right? You had the teenagers, then you had the preteens, and then you had the little kids and the different types of problems they bring home to the adults right plus because that it was a big house with a big family carol actually had to get had a she got to have help with the housekeeper so because that she had help at the house she really she helped in the kitchen she still cooked dinner with carol but and 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 alice like basically served dinner but now the kids had step into the world of power loyalty and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus chores right you got to see them set the table and you know and the and the two eldest kids would would uh, argue over who's taking out the garbage and mom you know mom got to solve little problems but anything big we had to wait for mike to come home now in this case we actually did know what mike did for a living because he designed the house so we knew was an architect. Architect. and mom was very much 
involved in PTA meetings and we got to know that she was into, she kept busy with writing and sculpting. And um, I think the one of the episodes that I found interesting because the, the creator of the show is Jewish was the Christmas episode where uh, Carol lost her voice. She was supposed to be singing at the, the Christmas show. And it was little Cindy prayed to Santa Claus, please let my mama sing. So I remember she was into singing. And of course, we all know Florence Henderson, you know, Broadway, whatnot. She knows how to sing. What I didn't know, and it really has nothing to do with this, was that, uh, you know, because he came out gay a whole lot later. It's hard to think of, of Mike Brady as, as a gay man. You well, know, I don't know that he I don't know that he came out gay, except he died of AIDS. I don't know that he ever actually came out. Kind of like what we talked about with Rock Hudson. Yeah. Well, no, because he he played a transvestite in um, what was the okay. name of that medical show? I think it was called like medical. It was like medical was center. Little, or no, that medical center. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Um, okay. But anyway, back to Carol. So so Carol, we got to see Carol, you know. In all the shenanigans of the house with the housekeeper, with the housekeeper Alice, and um, and how she tended to to the family, and how she had to keep the kids like Mike would work at home, and she had to keep all the kids out of Mike's hair while he was trying to design these wonderful houses. And um, I'll I'll jump I'll jump in here and actually sure. contradict you in a lot of ways. I think you will. Um, well, first of all, Alice was part of Mike's household because because there was no mom because mom there was had no mom death. right no they never uh, I'm trying to remember they never specified what happened to one of their spouses nope I, just that they were both gone yeah so on the first the, episode they were getting married so right so we never yeah. we never actually knew what happened with his divorce for all practical purposes, was Carol ever married? You know, I, I don't know that we ever. No, ever I think they both had lost. That. I think in, in there was a, an episode where they both discussed losing their spouse. Both both spouses were deceased. No, uh, I'm quite certain you're mistaken. Really? But but that yeah, but that's but that's not that important. The the right. spouses the spouses weren't there. Alice was part of Mike's household for years. So yes. she was part of the blended household immediately. Um, yes. So really, now when you look at it, and Carol Mike- had to figure out how to how to fit in with the boys because you know because she felt like you know she was competing with Alice. But but she did yeah she did next I mean you had Mike working at home a lot of the time. Yes. You had Alice as a second and surrogate mom and doing virtually all the household tasks so you didn't even have carol solely responsible for supervising kid because there were two other adults there so she didn't work she didn't cook she didn't clean she didn't solely supervise the kids you know what i mean as opposed to uh june cleaver and and they handled all the school stuff they handled everything outside of making a living that's true and and yes and that's Yes, and that's how she was able to keep busy with writing and sculpting and doing PTA meetings and whatnot. But, you know, and later, you know, so yes, in the original episodes, it was more Alice doing those things. But in 
later episodes, you would see Alice and Carol in the in the kitchen together cooking. Okay, I don't I don't know. So, yeah, I was an avid Brady Bunch fan. Um, now, now, as opposed to the other show that came out at exactly the same time, the Partridge Family. Shirley right. Partridge managed that family. Was a the sole breadwinner. Well, she was. She was, she was a everything. Single parent. Exactly. She was a and, single and actually, they never did say what happened to their father. I, I don't know, but but I think Carol Brady actually is a throwback in that she did next to she bore next to none of the burden that that we see in Father Knows Best and leave it to be. Correct. 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 She had a lot of outside activity. And when there were problems at home with the kids, though, there, it wasn't really all up to Mike anymore. They would have family meetings and, you know, but, but Mike still had like a lead role because he would call the meetings to order, right? They would sit in the living room in the, you know, and, and the boys would be on one side, the girls would be on the other. And then the two parents would sit by themselves. Alice was nowhere to be seen. And they would discuss the, you know, all the, the rules and the problems and whatnot. And Carol would, you know, have her say. And in the end, you know, it was really like, well, hold on. Mike would still be the one that had the, the last, the last word. So he was still, he was still the head of the household. But it was a little more, mom had a little more to say. So there was, you're right. It was, it was not like, like mom's opinion didn't matter anymore. You have anything else to add to that? Because I want to kind of move on to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Move Um, into family ties, right? um, And. But, well, no, I have some. I have some. Oh, you do? Okay. I do. Carol Brady's husband. It was in the TV series. We learn in the first episode. No, okay. Her first husband disappeared without explanation throughout the TV series. It wasn't until one of the movies that came decades later, like 15 years later, right. that they revealed he died at sea in an explosion uh, on an expedition. Um, it was never discussed what happened to him at all. That just he was out of the picture. I'm laughing because it first said, what happened to Mike Brady's first husband <laughs> is the question. But at the end, we learned that Mike's wife passed away. Sherwood Schwartz wanted her to be divorced. The network wanted her to be a widow. Thought being divorced was too risque for the times. So yeah. it was so never I, addressed end, until, until until years yeah, later. You know, well, no, but I still kind of remember it being inferred. Like no. they didn't like actually go into how the other spouses were gone, but it was implied, I thought. No, no, because Sherwood Schwartz wanted it to be a divorce. So he left that hanging all through the TV series. Um, I wonder how I had that impressed on my little, yeah. my little brain yeah. um, growing up because, you know, I think I believe that we were the same ages as the middle kids growing up when that show was on the air. Uh, then we then we move into family ties where Elise Keaton and her husband were um, grew up in the 60s and they were former love children. Right. They were mm-hmm. born. In they, that were era. Yeah. they were. Mm-hmm. But. 
the way that Elise ran her home, neither parent was a stay-at-home mom. She was not. She was not a stay-at-home mom. Really, nobody stayed at home, right? Um, mm-hmm. Although, did Elise? I don't know. Elise did work from home on occasion. She. It was. She was an architect, had, ironically enough. Yeah, yes, right. Yeah, she had some sort of office upstairs with the bedrooms or something. And she would come down with sketches once or blueprints every so often. She was, she was an architect. Steve was, um, by the way, he was a PBS producer or something like that. That's right. um, Um, So mom actually, while, while having to, so she had that split duty of, you know, raising the kids and being allowed to have a job outside the home. Right. They were actually, yeah. Right. Anything before that, mom couldn't actually have a job, right? Like not really being like of any significance to to being the breadwinner, right? I believe Lu- in Lu- that. Lucy, show, Lu- Lucy worked out. Lucy had tried to get work outside the home and did tried, have jobs outside the home. She did have jobs outside the home. Tried, but that was before they had little Ricky. I'm not sure if that's true because he was very early in the series. No, those those that episode where they tried to get jobs was before Little Ricky. I seem to remember her trying to get acting jobs and singing jobs and invited me to management job all yeah, throughout. Yeah, but they were always at the club with Ricky. <laughs> all right. It was always, you know, it was like I said in a in a previous uh, show that we did, right? She was always trying to get into the show, right? And Sophia from Golden Girls would say, why couldn't she be in the show? Whenever she would talk about, oh, Ricky, I want to sing or I want to do this. No, you have a child and now your job is to stay at home, right? Very cliche, right? Mer- Mom stays that- home, right? Mom stays home to take care of the kids. He goes out to work. She didn't see it that way, but... But in, in this in this particular series in Family Ties, mom actually earns more money than the dad. Mm-hmm. Well, sure, because she's she's he was a, a very successful architect, but she was also very patient. It was she was very caring. Um, you know, she was a very caring and loving wife and mother. And she was like a super mom, right? Mer- Meredith Baxter Burney and Michael Gross, who played the parents. Yes. Both born June 21st, 1947. Yes. Yes. So we had uh we we had talked about, about how she was Meredith Baxter Bernie later to just be Ma- Meredith Baxter. Yes. Um, back but uh but also, you know, the thing, so not only was she super mom, but but in this show, it never really depicted dad as the head of the household. It was more of a a unified effort right in the show mom and dad were more more like they had little family powwows too it wasn't quite the brady bunch kind of powwow but yeah because they didn't exactly sit in a circle one kid would be to the right and another and another kid would be to the left and the other kid was in the lap and um because i can't remember all that it was andy um andy what was the little what was the girl's name justine bateman Oh, Tina Yothers? Yes. No, Tina Yothers Justine was... Was the youngest. 
And uh, no, but then Andy came along afterwards. They had oh, yeah, they had Brian Bunce. Now, now, very often, adding a baby, a child late in the series is yeah. either a jump the shark moment or an attempt to revive something. For for instance, mm-hmm. leave it going back to Leave It to Beaver. That series that series came to an end because uh, Wally was uh, the older brother, rather, was graduating in high school and going to college. So you no longer yep. had the dynamic of the two boys. You, there was no way to Correct. maintain the show. Yep. And often having a new child come into the series is a way to bring up new stories or, you know, mm-hmm. up. he was brought in in like season five or something like that because Meredith Baxter got pregnant. <laughs> and rather than constantly hide her stomach, they decided to let her have a baby. So you bring up uh, Andy. Andy, what what did you have to say about him, though? Oh, no, just that, you know, when they would have their family meetings. I, I am totally blanked on what her character name was, though. Elise? Who? Which um, who are? The, the daughter. Not, well, not yeah, Teeny. Yeah. Teeny not others teeny was other. Jennifer. Jennifer. Justine Bateman was Mallory. Mallory, that was the one I couldn't remember. Um, so, yeah, so you would have Mallory would be sitting in a chair and maybe Andy was in her lap and the two parents were on the, the couch and Michael J. Fox would be standing in the background. So they were not like in this little tidy little circle like the Brady Bunch. But they would all have their say, right? And um, And they would all be like a family unit. They didn't all eat at the table together like like a family, so, you know. Well, if- I mean, part of the focus, part part of how the mother is portrayed, you know, how Elise Keaton is portrayed is, is directed by how the, the show develops. And the show developed in ways that were completely unexpected by the creative force. They fully expected to, this to be a us versus them. We have the parents of the sick, of the sixties who, you know, the hippies with right. either less, you know, more conservative, well, Alex, less political, less. Right. They're all, they're like these Democrats and their, their eldest son is a Republican. Well, that, but that's just what happened. Yeah. How do you have these, these wild and free parents raising kids who don't have that same kind of passion for the earth and for feelings and all of that. But then Alex, the, the Michael J. Fox character, Alex, took off in so much, such an unexpected fashion they, that it almost recalled. They switched yeah. the focus from the parents to Alex. And and there was almost everybody responding to what, whatever Alex was driving in, in a storyline. Um, but it was, yeah, but it was still, yeah, but Michael, but yeah, Dad was at, still out of the house a lot. So it was still, Elise was really still mom. She was still mostly the adult in the house taking care of the family. So it wasn't a wait till your father gets home kind of, of situation that we had watched from previous times. Right? This is true. Yes. So, that... right. But also so, the kids are kind of old enough that they didn't necessarily need that kind of supervision to the same degree well or, i mean certainly certainly the younger children did except 
Except even there, as you mentioned, the older children are in a position to provide backup and support. So it wasn't the burden on mom. Yes and no. Yes and no. Because, because Mallory was very flighty and kind of irresponsible. And, you know, and that dynamic with her younger sister was pretty, pretty relevant to how siblings re respond to one another. And Alex used to torture Mallory. So there were, you know, Elise was constantly having to get in the middle of, of what was going on with the dynamics there. Although they, they did throw in this, the plot twist eventually that, that Mallory had a higher IQ than Alex. Yes. <laughs> so. He didn't have good, he didn't, uh, sit, it didn't sit well with him. Um, but. Well, actually, yeah. And actually didn't her, her boyfriend, I thought it was Nick that was supposed to have the higher IQ at one no, point. No, he, 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 he was a pretty much a dim bulb. Okay. He's pretty much um, dim bulb. So we move on from there going into the eighties. Now we have, Oh, did I leave this out when I was talking to you? Everybody loves Raymond. Oh, that's and right. Every, yeah, I did not tell you about everybody loves Raymond. My apologies. That's Mark. okay. The thing about the thing that I, that I, the reason that I chose everyone loves Raymond is because in this particular instance, you actually have the dynamics of Ray's mother, who was your very typical stay with the home, stay at home and deal with the kids and, you know, the driving force in the house kind of mom with with Deborah Barone, who actually ended up having to give up a successful job to stay at home with their kids. Not only did she have to deal with raising her kids, because Ray was hardly any help at all in that particular area, area, but she had to deal with a meddling mother-in-law who always would put her down for the way she was bringing her kids up. Well, yeah, I think, that, I mean, again, a, a big part of the focus there was, was, I mean, it was based again off Ray Romano's character, uh, which mm -hmm. actually was a David Letterman production um, and inspired by a Ray Barone, by, by uh, what's his name, who played Ray Barone uh, uh, appearance on the Letterman show. But so now you have Deborah as this like, you know, waspy, just non-ethnic, you know, wife dropping into this very uh, New York Italian family. And it could have been New yeah. York Jewish. It could have been Greek, but it was the same kind of thing. And that well, was, it was from, yeah, she was from Long Island and actually, and her parents were so opposite anything that Ray's parents were right. They were, you know, ultra sophisticated and um, pretty hands off, you know, parents where Deborah was, was, portrayed right so Marie Barone um where are my notes on Marie let's see as a tv mom it was it was a looser dynamic that family had a looser dynamic and it wasn't always 
comedy driven, right? I mean, some of it was just stuff that happens in your house sometimes with the craziness of things that happen, right? Um, well, well, you know, that's actually the way a lot of the better comedies are. It's not joke, punchline driven. As a matter of fact, going back to Leave it to Beaver, they tried not to have gags with setups. Mm-hmm. It was even said that if, if something got too big a laugh, they would redo it and dial it back and change it. They wanted more chuckles and feel goods than, you know, uproarious laughter. Uh, so, well, and, and, so and, we, and here, yeah. everybody loves Raymond. They wanted it to be more coming from the situation. You know. Right. Well, that's what it's called a sitcom, right? Situation comedy. So Marie Barone was the old fashioned mom that made certain that her kids were fed and clothed and taken care of. And despite the fact that they were middle aged adults, that they could take care of themselves. Right. They were in many ways, mama's boys. Right. And and, you know, and then there's that. Thing where they say where that ex- where they say sons always pick their moms out to marry. Yeah, Did that's you do that? Okay. No, no. <laughs> Either um, time? No, none so, of the times. Um, you know, so it's a very different, it was a very, that was sort of the clash between Ray's mom and Deborah, right? Deborah, you know, she was a housewife. She but she had an essential job. At one point, she tried to go back to work, but she couldn't. She couldn't do it. Well, she, um, had, she, she and Ray met. She was a, she was doing PR for the Rangers, right. and he was a sports writer. Right. So that's how she met. Well, no, when she met him, he was moving couches, and he was intending on becoming a sports writer. Okay. All right. So, and actually, and she's the one that made all the moves, right? He was very shy and. You know, she ended up in like, you know, making up excuses for him to come over. And he was like a complete idiot. You know, in fact, that was her favorite expression for him, idiot. Right. So. um, So she, you know, she she just. Kind of was the way that they portrayed her, she was always like upset or always yelling at somebody. Right. Because. It was such a, a nutsy family and such a, what's the word, dysfunctional family that she often felt unappreciated and and dealt with all of this stress coming from Ray, who acted like more like a child than her kids did sometimes, this meddling mother-in-law, um, or, you know, I think there was a whole episode about her, how intrusive that she was. And um, and she just basically felt underappreciated. And, you know, and when she wasn't like referring to her husband as a child, she called him an idiot. So um, she basically, you know, stay at home mothers. To me, it kind of expresses how. It's really, you know, housewife is just not a good word, you know, I mean. It, it just sounds like it's not, it's, it's a really hard job to raise a family and to Especially be. Especially when you have twins. Yes. Yeah. Just because you didn't get paid to do what you had to do, you know, making sure that everybody had everything mom had. I know my mom basically 
really didn't have time to herself, you know, I mean, and it wasn't even yet where, like nowadays, everything is arranged, right? You, you take your kid to baseball practice or to their guitar lesson or their ballet lesson or whatever, or their play date. You know, when we grew up, we played outside, you know, there were no computers, right? We always had, my mom always had made sure that we sat down to do our homework before we were allowed to, to even take to sniff outside. So, you know, my dad was definitely the breadwinner and, you know, and his way of parenting was to explode at us and we would run behind mom. <laughs> so mom was the protector too. Um, and you kind of get that sense that that was the same kind of mom, right? I mean, there was even an episode where Deborah said, why do I always have to be the bad guy? Right. Why don't you why don't you handle responsibility once in a while? So it was a very opposite take of dad was in charge in that particular. And now that we're in the 80s. Right. Or or going into the 90s. Now, at home, mom was totally in charge. Right. I mean, Ray was still bringing home the bacon, so to speak. But as far as the house goes, that was that was her domain. That, that was that's where things started to shift right that's where the gender role wasn't quite the same so if you compare Deborah Barone to a uh, June Cleaver it's a very very different vision right it's a very different perspective yes it is when we move into I would say Tim Taylor to to <laughs> if you kind of compare Tim Taylor and Ray Barone there's not a whole lot of difference there, right? No, um, no. But but Jill Taylor was a stay-at-home mom for the most part. But she also was the one that was the adult in the family, right? The one that the kids went to to solve problems. I mean, Tim had his moments. He really was not wise old dad. You could not compare Tim to... Jim Jim Anderson, right? No, no, he did not. Right. So in this particular case, you know, Jill if, was, if anybody if anybody on home improvement was Jim Anderson, it was Wilson, the next door neighbor. It was Wilson, yes. Um, and actually, and actually, you know, there were times where the kids would wind up, up by the fence talking to him because because they, you know, because they just didn't feel comfortable talking to dad about certain things, but he had his moments. He had his moments where, where they would have those father son moments, you know, and the, the bonding, the bonding was, was, uh, especially funny with him and his kids, but Joe was definitely the head of household in this particular case. There is no denying Joe was head of household in, 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 in that particular case, she relied on Jim. I mean, on Tim, see Jim, Tim, she, she relied on Tim. She relied on him, but she knew she needed to be the one that was the disciplinarian that, that was the voice of reason in the house. Well, she was the grown up in the room. So, and, and that's basically, you know, where those gender roles play, right? There was still gender role there too, because Tim was all about being the man, right? The the breadwinner, the man of the house kind of thing, right? 
but in, in, in actuality, it was really Jill that, Jill that ran the household. Later on in the later seasons, she did get a job, but I can't for the life of me remember what it was. I, I seem to remember she went to school. She, she started she taking college classes. Right. She went to school. And then when she, she graduated, and I'm remembering Tim screwed up some sort of project that she was doing, but I can't remember what it was. So later on, you know, just like my mom. So like the thing is like with my mom, and we'll, we'll talk about your mom and my mom. We're coming up to that real soon. But like my mom, I remember when I went to school, I was a skinny little kid and I was always, I was pretty much the smallest kid in the class. I used to get picked on a lot. And so, you know, I sometimes would come home crying because I got picked on. And my mother at one point asked me how I felt about her going to work. I did not want my mom going to work because if, if I got picked on and I, and I needed her to come get me, she needed to be home. So mom stayed at home. Simple as that. I came home from lunch and if I needed mom, mom was there. Then like when I, when we graduated, you graduated from Cunningham also, right? Mm -hmm. So when I graduated in ninth grade, when we were headed into Murrow and I wasn't coming home for lunch anymore, my mother asked me again, how do you feel about me going to work? And I went, oh, okay. Mom went out and got a job, but still was expected to keep the house in order because my dad was not going to clean. He was not going to cook dinner. He was not going to pay the bills. Dad earned the bills and mom paid them. We move on from, and, and you get the sense that's what pretty much what Bill did too, right? She did all of that kind of thing behind the scenes, paying the bills mm -hmm. and what. Um, we move on to Reba McIntyre. And in this particular case, there is no husband. Well, there is, but there isn't, right? Because what happens is, so she's basically, in her show called Reba, she's actually a single mom, but there's a couple of different roles that she has here. So in that show, her husband cheats on her with his, he's a dentist, and he cheats on her with his um, assistant. A dentist? Yeah. Yeah. So they get married, and they actually end up living a couple of doors down, and his his new wife feels so guilty about stealing him from her that she, and she's this crazy lunatic person that continuously intrudes on almost like, like Marie did, right. Would always intrude, just walk in and intrude her and in, insinuate herself into Reba's life. I, I never, I never, I never, I never saw the show. So in the, the meantime, way it was, when, when I, I just, I never saw the show. The way it was described was, yeah, he got the, the assistant pregnant. And for some reason, throughout the series, the assistant who he, the dentist married, the new wife, considered Reba her best friend. That's true. And, and it wasn't really until the very end of the series that Reba acknowledged a friendship between the two. That's true, but too. To, but to me, I've never seen the show. I don't know. But that seems like such a, a, a ridiculous television story right. arc well, to even have to, to have to have the the ex-wife and the new younger woman who broke up the marriage although it's implied that the marriage was already on the rocks yes even 
interact on a regular basis is is is, is very unrealistic it's stress to me. Insane. But here's the thing, and here's the reason why I chose this this last show, because in talking about mom, she has kind of three roles all in one, right? Number one, she is kind of like a single mom, right? Now, her eldest daughter, high school, ends up getting pregnant and, and marries the young boy who ends up getting kicked out of his house for getting the girl pregnant. So they're sort of out of the picture and he moves in with them. Ultimately, what happens is Reba becomes his surrogate mom. So she's a surrogate mom. She's a mom to her other two kids. She also is the grandmother to the little the little girl that they end up having. So there's very appar- many. Apparently, different- again, from the notes I read, Reba is very involved, not with just her grandchild, but with her father's, her, her ex-husband's baby that, that she's very involved with having to raise both They come over, yeah, they come over a lot. And she also ends up sort of being like the, the, the ex-husband's confidant as well as his new wife's confidant. But she's always trying, she's like, do you realize who you're talking to kind of thing? Like, go away. Like, she's consistently telling them she doesn't want to hear it, but she ends up having to hear it. And because she's a good person, she sort of just ends up doing the right thing. So, and by the way, the only, I, I never saw Reba, the only, and I, I'm not, I mean, I know who Reba McIntyre is. I'm not a fan of her music. Where right, I've either. seen her, she's on Young Sheldon. And oh, I, I don't watch that show. Okay. Well, well, ironically enough, she plays Young Sheldon's grandmother, lives across the street. Uh, Annie uh-huh. Potts from, uh, was it Designing Women? Plays now the grandmother. And she's dating a guy who turns out to be Reba McIntyre's ex-husband. Uh, what's his name from Coach? And oh, they meet by Reba McIntyre accidentally runs into this woman who's now dating her ex-husband at one of the little it's a, another another so, kind of sitcom kind of well this one seemed in. actually a little bit so, more seemed relatively normal but now they're she's friends with the guy that's dating her ex-husband but he they were ex for a long time when when so, so the thing is so while Reba's running the household right she struggles taking care of everyone in her household including like her husband's divorce from the from the hygienist she's temperamental she's prone to sarcasm. wait wait the husband he divorces the hygienist she divorces the dentist but he's always oh. in the house anyway like okay, they lived I, thought you said he divorced, I thought you said the husband also no. divorced the hygienist. So she ends up like being involved in his new family's life as well. So she's she's got these sarcastic remarks mostly spun at the the dental hygienist whose name I can't remember. She's very temperamental. She's got all these sarcastic remarks, but she's mostly very kind, very caring, and again, usually the sensible one. She starts out the show as her so like you know how dentists and doctors are all like in the same building. Mm-hmm. So, like, she needs a job because, you know, now that she's divorced, she needs to 
earn money. So she ends up becoming the secretary of sort of like this dentist that he has a rivalry with. So to stick it to him, the dentist hires his wife, his ex, he hires Reba. So Reba ends up being the secretary for this other dentist. By the end of the show, she's a real estate agent. So she progresses as well. So she's got, she's another super mom. Real estate agent seems to be a common TV job, I guess, because it lets you be at home a lot of the time. Well, in a family situation, that or an architect, right? Seems that way. So, yeah. Now, my mom wasn't an architect. <laughs> and she, but she was a secretary. She, she had quite many secretaries. She was a bookkeeper. Um, her first, the first job I remember her having is like, hey, let me ask you something if we have this in common too, since we ended up going to, um, school all, all three of our primary schools that we went together so for camp i spent one season one summer at cunningham camp did you go there okay i went to a, a, a camp a day camp when i was four that uh -huh. that had something at cunningham because i know part of i remember we were sat in assembly watching Bugs Bunny cartoons at Cunningham. So that was when I was four. When I was eight, going on nine, my brother and I went to CYO camp, Catholic Youth Organization camp. So we, all right. And then nice Jewish boys at the Catholic yeah, camp. Okay. The next, the next three years, we went to sleepaway camp for like almost three weeks. Camp Loyal Town near Hunter Mountain. Um, oh which was open to everybody, but it was primarily a Jewish camp where if you were Jewish, you had to either go to Shabbos services, Sabbath services on Friday night, or you could go into town on Saturday morning and go to temple. And that sucked. Either one sucked because the non-Jewish kids were having fun Friday night while we had to go to service. <laughs> but, did, yeah, but they didn't go to church on Sunday. So, no. yes. Yeah, so we went to the one year at the Cunningham camp. And then after that, we went to Manhattan Beach Jewish Center, where mom found a, job, a summer job as the secretary to the rabbi. So that's the first job that I remember mom having, because this way we got to go to camp. I'm not sure if we got in for free or at a discount. I'm sure you would have. By the way, we, uh, my brother and I went to, decided we would go to Saturday morning services in town because okay. I thought maybe at least we'd be able to buy a soda or something like that. We hadn't seen right. a, a Pepsi for two weeks. <laughs> and it turned out it was an ultra-Orthodox service, where, which was like Evelyn Wood speed reading. <laughs> Davening. And I mean, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, we, yeah, it was amazing. We could not keep up, not even close. Well, that was, yes. No, no kosher, no kosher sodas. We have, no, we have a, I have somewhere a bunch of postcards my mother saved. My brother would say, you know, we did this, we played softball. Mark and I competed against each other in tribal wars and they won and this, that, and the other thing. And we had a barbecue where the hot dogs and corn on the cob and that would always, I hate it here. Come take me home. And the, he, dear mom, there's <laughs> always, I hate it here. Come take me home. 
I'm 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 kind of hearing hello, Mada. Hello, Father. <laughs> yeah. Very much. So, Alan Sherman. Um, Manhattan Beach. So yeah, I ended up in Manhattan Beach Jewish Center from the time I was seven. Like, basically, yeah, I ended up my one of my first jobs was I was a CIT counselor in training, and uh, you know, and then I was a counselor. I never quite made it to division head. We kind of left by then, but um, yeah, my mom, my mom was always around, so she was able to have a job, and and she was still always kind of there for me, you know. So uh, my dad um, had 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 the, a hobby shop on Coney Island Avenue. I, everybody knew about your dad's hobby shop. I used to shop yeah. in there on occasion. And my mom basically, even even at, after she was significantly disabled did the books for years, um, mm-hmm. paid the bills for both the house and the business. So she, she kept track of all of that. And she did the books for the store though. Well, the store was founded by her, her mother and father. So. Oh, see that I didn't know. I thought that was, yeah. um, I, I mean, I kind of, I didn't think your dad started the store, but I thought it was like, you know, everybody thought oh. you were going to get the store after him. Yeah. Well, yeah, it didn't survive. It didn't survive Toys R Us. But my grandmother on my mother's side uh, started the business in, I think it was like 1947. My dad, when my dad took it over, he, he expanded it, tripled the size. Between the oil crisis and businesses like Toys R Us, it just became mm-hmm. too difficult. <laughs> I remember buying comic books in there. And I think it was in there. and Or, you know... No, not us. We Dom's across the street. The the the, the luncheonette comic sold comic books. books. Yeah, right. I I okay. But we had the model know, planes you, and trains and rockets and arts and crafts. Yeah, paint used, by numbers. And, definitely used to go in there. Yeah, definitely a paint by number set for sure. Um, I'm sort of remembering one of those little velvet jobs with a pony or something or other. Yeah, and lots of well. I think I had up my hands on some Play-Doh, but mom, but mom always threw that out on me when I was. But yeah, you know, in, in in each instance, you know, really, it's mom. You know, it's like when 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 an athlete wins a World Series or a football game or whatever, it's always hi, mom. It's always mom. It's not dad. It's mom. So, so it's always you know, even like. Yeah, it's always, I want to say, oh, mom. So that didn't make you a mama's boy or anything. It's just, but see, like these days, I don't think it's quite the same. You know, and, and even these days, for the most part, it's really rare to find, it's really rare to find any kind of mom that's just a house, that's just a house wife, right? In most situations, both parents have to work. Now, let me ask you something. Did your wife work? When you when the kids were growing up, yeah, um, Rudora worked. She was a she worked for an orthodontist. She was not a hygienist, but she was practice administrator. Kevin was born in nineteen ninety. You know there was no broadband yet, but at my suggestion, they set up a connection so that she was able to do the books from home. So. She had, you know, probably six weeks off from maternity. And then for the next three to six months, 
she worked primarily from home. Mm-hmm. And then my my in-laws and my dad was living out here, provided child care for most of Kevin's first couple of years. And it wasn't until we had our second son that that we got outside child care, like when Brian was probably three, two or three. They went to child care before Kevin started school. Um, and I had, a, I, I, it's hard for me to remember always what I had, what I was doing, because I kept changing. But there were many times I was working from home much of the time or had flexible schedules. So uh, we shared a well, lot a, of those. I know you went too. to, I know you went to Stony Brook. What was your major? Never got one. <laughs> I, uh, I ended up, I ended up, yeah, kind of. I ended up leaving Stony Brook before. I can right. go back. And, uh, right. And mom and, and did mom have any like advice to help you decide what she you went might with, want? No, she actually went with me the day we picked Stony Brook. We, we, uh-huh. we picked that tour together. Um, she even went with me. I think I was thinking about switching to Albany, and I think she went with me then too. I know she went to Albany with me. When you were but, when you were looking at schools, though, what was the what was the thing that caught you about any particular school? I mean, when you know, I mean, I wanted to be in television production largely because of Murrow, um, because I was in all those closed circuit TV classes and whatnot. And I wanted, I had ideas about going into television production. So, you know, the schools I was looking at, I was looking for certain programs. Um, yeah, I, I actually wasn't, I, I didn't have a real. Yeah, which dad was not thrilled with and mom was fully supportive. So um, thanks mom. <laughs> and uh you know, and then I, and then uh, because life happens, I ended up becoming a teacher, which guess what my dad was? Uh, a hockey player. Uh-huh. Yeah. He actually, he actually, well, he was a high school math teacher and my worst subject was ta-da, math. <clears throat> and, um, and then he, um, he ended up teaching uh, management and marketing in, in college and he did make it to, he, well, not a full professorship, but he was an assistant professor, you know, but mom, but mom, you know, she, she was smart, you know, that she used to like, you know, your mom would take care of the books. Mom used to mark all of dad's tests because dad, dad worked two and three jobs. So any kind of nap he could get in between jobs, mom was there marking his papers for him. And, you know, and then when she finally went back, even after she went back to work, I think she helped him out with that stuff. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would I would say, you know, mom was was a forward thinker for her day and um and very independent and and largely responsible for the type of person that both me and my sister grew up to be. Mm-hmm. Anything you know, anything you want to add to about your mom and the way she raised you guys? Well, I know that they that both my parents had a major impact on on who we all became if, you know, and to focus on my mom, if only because we ended up starting at age nine, my brother was seven, (coughs) five, my brother was seven. My sister was five starting to do the carnivals for multiple sclerosis. Mm -hmm. You know, 
she inspired uh, a, a community involvement that that the three of us continue in a very significant way. Well, my brother passed, but he was involved deeply involved with the wheelchair rugby that I was also involved with through him. Uh, How old was your brother? How old was your brother when he passed? He died at 53, two years after Adora. Um, But he was involved in the community in many ways. Uh, Mm -hmm. My sister continues to fundraise in a significant way for multiple sclerosis, among other things. Uh, in addition to MS, I was on the board of trustees for the Leukemia Society. I was involved in the Jewish Sports Hall of Fame. I'm on the board of the League of Volunteers now. So I think the community involvement largely comes from from her, my mother's influence or, or mm-hmm. circumstances, if not direct influence, but probably both. Probably both. But what definitely. About mom. Yeah. They're definitely all bare, bare fingerprints of our, of our parents. Well, that, you know, that certainly lends into, as we wrap up our show, what, what I continue to say, and maybe, maybe, do you remember what I say to end the show, Mark? I'll talk to you later. <laughs> it's that, that's what I say to you, but what do I say to our listeners when we wrap up a show? Something about hoping that I'm here next week. Ah, so you don't you don't actually use the the, the show quote, right? You're gonna make me do it. Oh yeah. Okay. So um, so let me just thank you for for letting me drive the show today and and honoring all the moms out there and and um, the perspectives of of. Um, the different roles and how gender gender roles have changed and mothers have have grown and um and you know we still have uh, another show to do coming up soon for for our weekly over the rainbow episode and uh let me just remind everybody out there to show your love for those you care for today because they may not be here tomorrow should I stop planning the Father's Day show with um, Father Knows Best and Everybody Loves Raymond? We could do and... that. We could absolutely do that. By the way, Wait Till Your Father Gets Home was an animated show in 1972 that ran for parts of two seasons. Great cast. Oh. Did not succeed. Tom okay. Bosley was the, was the lead voiceover. Oh, no kidding. But we could save that for Father's Day. Now I have to YouTube that. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mark Silverman. Thank you, I'll Sharon Nicholas. I'll see you in a few days. Um, hopefully, um, yeah. I'll be here. Hopefully, I'll be here for that. And if we'll promise that, yes. Yes, and hopefully, our listeners will be here for that as well. There you go. Okay. Take care. 